Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. At a dance, you know, you're holding hands and putting your arms around and swinging people you don't even know. And when else in your daily life do you do that anymore? So, it, you know, the dances are a reflection of community that exists, but they also create community. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. Another week, it's Will. And Neil, what up, my brother? I, I always enjoy saying that. What up, brother? You know, like people often say, hey, brother, how are you? You know, here in Appalachia to just anybody. But when I say it, it's like for real, for real, you know? Man, Your actual brother. I, I'm actually speaking blood. to my brother, my blood. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if our listeners realize that, but you know. So anyway, yeah, it's almost Halloween, man. My three year old wishes it was Halloween every day of his life. He loves it. Really? So yeah, oh my gosh, he wakes up wanting to see ghost. <laughs> What's he gonna be this year? Probably a mix. Like he's got a couple couple of costumes. He may switch midstream and switch over into Batman. He may start out being the Incredible Hulk and then switch into Batman. So it'll probably be a game time decision for him. What about the haunted barn? Are you bringing that back this year? Oh, yeah. You know it. If you're in the local 606 and you need something to do Halloween night, you better make sure you find uh, the haunted barn at Neil's house because it'll be jumping again. So Artie, Artie's <laughs> working on it, huh? Or did you oh, just yeah. it up from last year? The barn is our neighbor's and – our neighbors have just decided that they're going to leave some of it up. It'll be a little less work to get ready for sure because of, uh, I guess, the lack of cleanup from last year's festivities. Nice. Are you charging this year? No, free of charge. Free, free of, of charge. charge. Some some call us dumb. Others realize how big our hearts are. So you don't <laughs> have to pay for us to scare you to death. We'll scare you to death for free. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's the best part about it. Well, well, we'll have to get an update. Definitely talk about it more next week, closer to Halloween. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you, man, did you ever get into the Thigh Master? The Thigh Master. Do you remember I mean, the Thigh Master? I do. I do. I was never really into it, but I know some people in our family that were. <laughs> I remember having one. You remember having one when we were little? Yeah, our, our oldest sister used it. Like. <laughs> It was such a big deal back then. I, 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 what are you going to tell me about it? Because I honestly I just, don't know. I was just going to mention that Suzanne Summers passed away. She, you know, she. Oh yeah, she represented the Thigh Master. It just made me think, gave me a little nostalgia, taking me back to the days of the Thigh Master. She also, I, I'm not 
a viewer, but she a couple years ago was on Dancing with the Stars. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I do you, remember that. You're a big fan. I know. I don't catch it often, but I did see that. What do you think about Dancing with the Stars? I think that you know, obviously they haven't asked me to be on it yet, but um, I would probably be like the most entertaining television if they ca- if I made it past week one. I would probably wouldn't make it, but <laughs> it would probably be just pure entertainment for America if they would just ask me to be on it. You tell me you have I'm zero waiting. dance ability. I wouldn't say zero. I mean, I wouldn't throw myself in the zero category. Uh, no, on a scale of one to ten, what kind of dancer am I? I don't know. Probably a five. That's probably giving myself a lot of credit. Okay. Actually. So the percentage of making it past week one on Dancing with the Stars? 85. Whoa. Strictly based on likability, I'm assuming. Inter- yeah. Entertainment value. Yeah. I got you. I got 100%. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. the get harder, uh, your percentage goes down. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't done a lot of two steps in my day, but if you give me the directions and you show me the sequence and how the dance goes, I'm knocking it out, bro. Okay. I wanted to mention that. You know, I'm not I'm not a viewer of Dancing with the Stars. I do, you know, you can't help but see who's on it every year because they market it like crazy, but uh don't watch it. Um, but there are a lot of people that are always on it. I wanted to mention it because of the topic that we're talking about today, which we'll get into later, but it's on the culture of dance in Appalachia. You know, we have this rich culture of music, but that's related to dance. And there's uh, obviously when you think of dance in Appalachia, you think of square dancing, flat footing, clogging, things like that. And uh, we just wanted to dive into that a little bit with an expert. Yeah, and that expert is definitely not me, Will. So make sure our listeners know that right now. And uh, I'm looking forward to this as well because I feel like any any type of dance information you need or choreo- choreography uh, selection, maybe not that so much. But... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you just <laughs> said choreography? You know? <laughs> You know, my dance lingo is, you know, I haven't been, I haven't got that invite yet. I'm still waiting, but nonetheless, I'm looking forward to this, this interview. But before we get into the interview, Will, I did want to mention or ask you, I guess, do you got any app news for me this week? Just real quick, and then we'll get into this topic. I wanted to mention a couple of things. There's big news that came out this week around something that we talked about on the show previously the hydrogen hubs that we talked about before. So they released the names or they awarded seven clean energy hydrogen hubs throughout the U.S. with the $8 billion from the Department of Energy and the ARCH-2, which stands for the Appalachian Regional Clean Energy Hub, won one of those awards, $925 million dollars to be based in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. I think to be headquartered in West Virginia to bring in tons of jobs. So congratulations to them for winning this award, being named a hub, one of the seven throughout the country. Um, Yeah, that's big news, Will. That is big news. On the flip side of that, I also wanted to point out that there, there was a recent article that came out in the Kentucky Lantern, a 
nonpartisan news outlet. It just wanted to mention that these hydrogen hubs are a good idea as long as they're done correctly. And they wanted to point out that some of the hydrogen hubs still produce their hydrogen through fossil fuels, making it blue hydrogen. The Arch 2 is one of those. So it's just an article talking about the flip side of the hydrogen hubs, just to give another uh, representation of just to keep in mind, uh, there is the other side as well. Also, I wanted to mention a recent article in regards to the article called it the opioid belt. There was this data from the Drug Enforcement, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, that they had not released to the public until recently. The article explains it a little bit, but it highlights the number of pills per person per year prescribed between 2006 and 2019, and it's highlighted by colors, and you can see this opioid belt throughout central Appalachia. It's very prominent. Uh, we'll, we'll show the article just to include it, but also they have the prescription opioid deaths per year, same highlighted region of central Appalachia compared to the rest of the country, which shows little. So I wanted to point that out, just what the data represents. We'll include it in the show notes. It's not a very uplifting article, but it does kind of show how opioid prescription was abused, especially marketed in the Appalachian or Central Appalachian region. That's really all I had for App News. I really just wanted to get into this episode of Dance in Appalachia. Yeah, let's do it, man. Looking forward to it. Break that star and swing. Go promenade around the ring. Join hands and serve it to the left eight hands you go. On the show today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Phil Jamison. He resides in Asheville, North Carolina. He's a nationally known dance caller, old-time musician, and flatfoot dancer. He has called dances, performed, and taught at music and dance events all throughout the world for 40 years. He's been a member of the Greengrass Cloggers and has been featured in several documentary and films for his talent. He's also a musician and toured for over 20 years with Ralph Blizzard and the New Southern Ramblers. Through his extensive teachings and research, he also published the book Hoedowns, Reels, and Frolics, Roots and Branches of Southern Appalachian Dance, which kind of tells the story stories behind various dance forms in Appalachia. I wanted to point out in 2017, he was inducted into the Blue Ridge Music Hall of Fame, and in 20. 22 was inducted into the America's Clogging Hall of Fame. He also most recently shared the stage with Yo-Yo Ma and friends at the East Tennessee Big Ears Festival, which we have promoted on this show before. So, Phil, we want to thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Sure. Happy to be here. As Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition, our family, we're big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this gigantic spread of appetizers. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Appetizer? Oh, that's a <laughs> that's a tough question. I like to get right to the meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Do you have a favorite dish at the holidays then? Depends on the holiday. You tell me which holiday we're talking about. Well, Thanksgiving is coming up. 
Well, I always like a little bit of bird. I don't care whether it's turkey or a little hen or whatever. I'm married to a, I'm married to a vegetarian, so I always have to have the meat on the side. <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. I wanted to ask you, you know, you're obviously an expert on dance, on, on Southern Appalachian dance. A- Appalachian, have we mentioned many times on this show, it's a, it's a very diverse region settled by originally by Native Americans, but, that, you know, it's been formed by a constant barrage of immigrants, African-Americans, European settlers, Native Americans, kind of this uh, array of various backgrounds. But when you think of dance in Appalachia, a lot of people think of clogging or square dancing. How, how do you describe kind of the history or the culture of dance in Appalachia? Well, the, people look at the dances and, you know, oftentimes think of think of it as white culture, but in fact, it has, you know, very multicultural roots, just like the music does. I always say you can't really consider the dances unless you consider the music as well, because the two of those went side by side. You know, the most obvious thing in the in the music is the banjo that has African roots, and you combine that with the fiddle that has European roots, and that sort of forms the core of our music. So the, the dances have a have a similar kind of a story with influences from both Africa as well as Europe and probably Native America too. Dance is so intertwined with the Appalachian culture. I think to understand the dance is to really understand the history of Appalachia itself. Would you would you agree with that? Well, yeah, it's it's you know, you can look at the dances as sort of representative of the community and it's a situation where you are you know, you're with a partner or, you know, if, you know, like in a square dance, you're with a partner, but you're joining with other couples, either maybe in a big circle or a smaller circle. I find it remarkable at a dance, you know, you're holding hands and putting your arms around and swinging people you don't even know. And when else in your daily life do you do that anymore? So, it, you know, the dances are a reflection of community that exists, but they also create community even in the course of an evening. Yeah, and I know that you have, to that point, somewhat created community there in Nashville and other areas. You you started the Dare to Be Square, um, also the 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 I don't know if I'm getting this pronunciation right, but the Swan Swanoa Swanoa a gathering of individuals to do square dancing and other forms. But how did you first become involved? with dance were you a dancer in your childhood or did it, did it kind of develop over time i was a musician first so i was a you know as a teenager i was playing guitar and banjo and um started sitting in playing for dancers and when i saw people out there doing it um that looked like fun so i wanted to learn how to do the you know the flat footing and clogging and I was playing and one day the caller didn't show up and somebody had to call out the figures and I tried it and, and it, you know, it felt very empowering. So that's kind of how I got into it. But I was, I was definitely a musician, came from the ranks of the musicians. Like you said before, you can't have dance without the music. They go hand in hand. I know in fourth grade, I was taught square dancing by my fourth grade teacher, which at the time as a fourth grader, you don't really think about why you're being taught square dancing in school. And now I realize, you know, they were trying to carry on that tradition of square dancing from the past to the present. 
I, I know you focus kind of on flat footing, on square dancing. You you call other forms, but those are your primary focuses. How has dance evolved in the region over the years? Well, it, it has it has evolved. It sort of depends on what kind you're talking about. If you're talking about step dances, the flat footing and clogging, you know, clogging has evolved into you know sort of a modern contemporary precision form of of clogging that you'll see kids doing dancing to recorded music with you know dancing not just to rap you know rock and roll and country but to rap and all kinds of things and that wasn't so much the case 40 50 years ago when people were it was much more associated with the traditional music of the region but around here in western north carolina it still is but other parts of the country you'll find people dance you know doing clogging to whatever and as far as the, the set dances square dances go around here like in many parts of the country a different type of dance called contra dancing has sprung up and in many cases sort of crowded out the older traditional square dances i've read that there's kind of this rift between contra dance and square dance what's the difference between the two and why is there this rift oh well the, the square dances are the indigenous form of the from the region that goes back you know several hundred years contra dances are a relatively modern form back in the up till the 1970s or 80s contra dances were pretty much confined to new england where they're derived from the old old times and they were not done elsewhere in the country and in, starting in the 1980s people they started to become popular elsewhere in the you know throughout the country and here in western north carolina you know probably the late 80s is when they really became a, a popular form and the dance and they're popular all over the country now they're not appalachian you know they, they didn't originate here and they're not unique to this region the dances that people do here are no country dances they do here are no different than what you'd find in california or florida or anywhere else and it's all modern choreography. The dances, contra dances that people do nowadays are not the traditional contra dances of New England, but they're modern choreography that is, you know, has become very popular. And so in many ways they have, as I say, have sort of taken over from where, you know, where we might have used to have a square dance. Now you might find a contra dance. So that's part of the pushback right there is that people who enjoy the square dancing don't get to do that and instead it's all contra dancing. As a dance caller, you know, I get people coming up to me and, you know, I say, okay, let's do a square now. And I get booed. <laughs> I would say there's a big difference. Square dances are in some ways, I don't know, it's, it's a different demographic, maybe. I don't know. The square dances that we used to have around here are that were definitely community dances. And they're, you know, by that, I mean, a, a, dan a community would come out and there'd be dances. And Contra dances are more of a um, a dance community, a community of dancers, where people who self-identify as contra dancers uh, go to these. And it's not you don't find just anybody going. You're specifically a contra dancer. Whereas at a square dance, it's more accessible to the entire community. You don't have to be you know a quote quote unquote square dancer. Uh, anybody can show up. They're they're sort of different in that. And as a musician. I, I play Southern Appalachian music, and the music that's played at contra dances nowadays is not traditional, you know, for the most part, is not traditional Southern Appalachian music. 
And it's not something I'm interested, you know, as interested in. So, you know, there are musical differences and differences in who's going and just the, the general feel of the thing. You talked about different dance forms, but also different variations of the dance forms. Would you consider square dance uniquely Appalachian or is there a form of dance that's uniquely Appalachian considering that it may have have been a variation of of European dance or something? Square dance there were square dances all over the country and there's different regional styles and there's square dances in the northeast you know traditional what they would call quadrilles in New England and in in the you know Michigan and northern northern states southern square dance is a different form it's not unique to the mountains it was found throughout the south but it was retained more in the mountains, just like the music was, whereas it might have died out elsewhere. And yes, there is, a, the, there is a unique form to the Southern square dance, which is different than the New England quadrilles, that are, which are more closely related to the, the, the old French quadrilles. What about flat footing? How did, where did it originate? Flat footing is just, you know, basically, you know, it's percussive step dance that goes with this music. And there were people doing it anywhere you had fiddle music. You know, there were fiddlers in New York City back in the day. And, yeah. you know, and anywhere there were fiddlers and people would make, you know, noise with their feet and call it flat footing, buck dancing, clogging, what, what have you. That existed everywhere. But um, again, it survived where the music survived. In, in regards to flat footing, clogging, square dancing, have you seen it diminish over the years or less and less people do it, doing it? Or have you seen a recent resurgence of square dancing or at least the interest in some of the more cultural, historically cultural dance forms? Right. Well, you, you mentioned that Dare to be Square earlier, and that was a, that was a, a weekend workshop event that I helped organize uh, back, I think it was like maybe 2004 was the first one. You know, for years I had seen squares kind of being pushed aside by contra dances, you know, going back to into the late 80s. You know, so I helped organize a weekend to promote square dancing. There have been a number of these weekends, different places around the country over the years. And I think as a result, there there is a new generation of dance callers. You know, there's a lot of young people, younger than, you know, people in their 20s or 30s who are interested in old time music and square dancing as opposed to contra dancing. You know, you are an expert caller. You've traveled all throughout the world. We spoke earlier, you just got back from France from a festival there where you taught and called. How do you get started as a caller? Is there a school <clears throat> that you go to to be a dance caller? Or, or how, did, how did you learn and how, how did you progress and, and how did you come, become such an expert? Uh, over time. Just by doing it, it's, you know, you, you start out by going to dances, seeing how the, you know, understanding how the dances are constructed, how the different figures work. And a lot of it is learning is a teaching thing because we, we always walk people through the dances before we start calling. So to be able to get across to new dancers, you know, what it is they need to do if they're unfamiliar with it, that's a lot of it right there. But being familiar with the dances, being familiar with the music, part of it's the wanting to do it, but also the need for it. So a lot of times there'll be a community that doesn't have a caller, so there are no dances. But if somebody steps up to the plate and says, let's do it, it'll happen. If I were were interested in learning more about clogging, about square dance, or how to, the how to, I guess, square dancing, where would I go? Is there a website that, that shows 
where the next square dance is going to be or, or <laughs> you know, you don't have the, the square dance at your establishment. Where would I go to learn the traditional form? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there there was, I don't know if it still exists, but there were some websites called Dare to be Square. And there was a Dare to be Square West for people on the, in the Western states that did list where events were happening. I don't know if those websites are still active. The, you mentioned the Swannanoa Gathering. That's a music workshop that takes place here at Warren Wilson College, right outside of Asheville every summer. And we have an old time music and dance week uh, where people from all over the country, all over the world come uh, to stay for the week and people can learn fiddle and banjo and ballad singing. But we also do, I do a class in Southern square dance calling and we offer classes in, in flat footing and clogging. So uh, you can you can sign up for classes like that, obviously, YouTube, you can find things. Uh, there's there's a wonderful resource, a guy, a fellow in New Hampshire, David Millstone put together called the Square Dance History Project. Uh, you can find online that looks at all different varieties of traditional square dancing over the years. And there's a series of videos uh, from a Dare to be Square weekend from 2011. I was one of six callers and they filmed all the, not only all the dances we called, but the teaching as well. So somebody could learn quite a bit from that just by seeing how the dances are taught and how they're called. But, you know, probably the best way to learn is to, like I say, seek out dances and go and watch the other callers. When people think of dance, they think of two people dancing. And, and it's really, it's such an intimate art form. Like two people become one when they are truly connected to dance what what do you think makes dance so special to the appalachian region and, and what makes dance special to you well i mean it it's obviously it, it's a connection with other people and as i say you know when else do you get that chance to interact with people like that and you know i i guess i first was interested in square dances as as a teenager because you know i was very shy and it was a way to to get, you know, get out on the dance floor. Somebody was telling you what to do. You didn't have to make up some rock and roll dance move. But, you know, for me, it's also a connection. As I keep coming back to, I'm a musician too. So it's a connection with the music. And the music that we play, the, you know, fiddle and banjo music is primarily dance music. That's what it was designed for. So, you know, it's a shame not to have dancing going on. What's your favorite style or form of dance? Well, just flat footing. Um, and I have to say, you know, when I, when I do flat footing, it's not, I don't enjoy it the most in performance, like on a stage. I enjoy it the most, say, if I'm at a music festival and it's late at night in the dark and there's a good it's a piece of plywood on the grass or something to dance on. And all I can hear is the sound of my feet with the music as the, you know, being the percussion to the music. That's my most favorite way of dancing nobody can see you it's just completely listening that's very cool and it seems very intimate it's more about the sound almost it is it is what's your favorite song to perform do you have a favorite song that you you would flat foot to or perform to no i i, I wouldn't say there's a there's a favorite favorite one but you know there's some fiddlers that i prefer dancing to rather than others you know ones that are you know really time out their their music really well in with good phrasing in fours and eights so good good clear phrases and you know very straightforward tunes Th those are the ones that i i like the best and that are up to a good speed 
What's your favorite dance to call? Again, it, it depends on who, who I've got to work with out there. So, <laughs> or as I say, you know, what hand I've been dealt. So when, when I go to a gig to call a dance, I have no idea what dances I'm going to call until I get there and I see who's out on the floor. And if it's a, you know, for example, if it's moms with little kids, it's, I'll do one thing. If it's experienced dancers, I'll do something else. So I'd, I'd say I have, you know, certain favorite dances for each, each ability level. So it's sort of hard to single out one, but in general, I like simple dance figures that flow really easily. Do you have a favorite dancer or Appalachian dancer? I would say many of them, you know, most of them are now deceased. When I think of the older generation, there's a wonderful dancer. He's not here in Appalachia, but he lives in middle Tennessee, Thomas Maupin. Tremendous. He'd refer to it as buck dancing, but he lives in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. But he gets over here sometimes. Just very percussive, very clean, rhythmic dancer. Cornbread or biscuits? I think I like cornbread. In my opinion, you can't go wrong with cornbread. Yeah. Have you ever watched Dancing with the Stars? No, I haven't. <laughs> do, you, do you think they should include square dancing on Dancing with the Stars? Well, that would involve not just one person, but that involve a bunch of people. That's true. What about flat footing? So does the film, does this, if this show involve teaching a, a celebrity how to dance? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll confess something here. This week, there's a, a major motion picture about to open Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. It's, it's a true story from 100 years ago when Osage people in Oklahoma were becoming incredibly wealthy from oil rights and uh, white people out there were resenting that and started killing them off. And it, the movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, but uh, there's a square dance scene in the film and it was filmed two years ago. And I don't know if I made the final cut of the film, so I may be on the cutting room floor. There was a, one of the actors who in the film, not Leo DiCaprio, but uh, another actor had to, had to do some, in the scene, had to do some flat foot dancing and he had never done it before. So yes, I, I taught a movie star how to do flat footing and you may or may not see it in the film, depending on the final cut. If you see a square dance caller in the film, that's me. Heard, heard it here first on Appalachian Mint's World, right? Right, and I, I did play banjo on the soundtrack for the dance scene. Oh, really? Very cool, very cool. We'll check that out. We'll put it in the show notes as well. One last rapid fire question. How was it? Being on stage with Yo-Yo Ma, Brianna Gibbons, uh, all the incredible performers at the Big Ears Festival. It, it, it was fun. Uh, I mean, first of all, Yo-Yo is an incredibly nice guy. Very, very welcoming and uh, very humble and, and, and just want a treat to be around. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I, I had this wonderful opportunity to get up there and play banjo and do some dancing on stage with that all-star lineup. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But uh, they made me feel very welcome. So was, I've known Rhiannon for many years, but I'd never, you know, been around Yo-Yo Ma before. She's incredible. Yeah. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear this word, Appalachia? I probably think of the mountains. We said that you reside now in Asheville, North Carolina, but our podcast is kind of grounded on place and perspective. Place is really important to Neil and I. It's really important to our family. So we wanted to ask you, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? 
Well, I call Asheville home. The place where I'm sitting right now, I have lived on this piece of land for 43 years, so I feel pretty grounded here. And my, you know, I have two daughters who grew up here and, you know, our neighbors up the road, I've known four generations of them. It's always neat to hear different perspectives on that question. We want to thank you again for for being on the episode. You know, you mentioned being on the stage with a bunch of all-stars. You know, you you are in two Hall of Fames. I think you could consider yourself an all-star as well. well. Thank you. But thank you for the teachings that you do. Thank you for representing the past and bringing it into the future with the different variations, different forms of dance. So thank you for all that you do for your knowledge, but also education and being a part of our region and spreading our region throughout the rest of the world. So thank you for being on the show and we appreciate the time. Sure thing. Appreciate your interest. Well, man, good stuff. Like I said, uh, Dancing with the Stars is probably in my future, and with all of these, uh, all this information, I, I feel like I feel like I could, you know, up my percentages a little bit higher now. <laughs> yeah, I think if you talk to Phil, and we actually got some flat footing on dancing with the stars then you could definitely learn from phil i do think that would make me more successful for sure but yeah i really did enjoy his time and uh, all of his comments really appreciate him coming on and being a, being a guest with us today yeah he really has incredible knowledge is incredibly talented in the work that he does not only in being a musician but being an expert caller dance caller and dancer himself you know, like we mentioned, he travels all over the world, just got back from France in a festival there, was on stage with Yo-Yo Ma a couple months before that. He has lived a life based around dance. And so uh, when it comes to dance and dance history in Appalachia, definitely check out his book, Hoedowns, Reels, and Frolics, Roots and Branches of Southern Appalachian Dance. If you're interested in finding more about the history or the culture of dance in Appalachia, that book definitely tells the story especially the story behind those specific dances and those various dance forms. So we'll post in the show notes. Check it out if you're interested. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you have a uh, business of the week for us, Will? I do. In the spirit of the season and in the spirit of Neil Warren's Haunted Barn, I wanted to mention supposedly, I've never been, but one of the most haunted house attractions in West Virginia. It's called Fright Nights West Virginia, and it's at the resort at Glade Springs. It has different attractions, actually, and it calls it a haunted experience. You can encounter five theme haunted experiences with just one ticket. One theme is shipwrecked, then there's a house of wax, then there's Hexed, which is the story begins with an ancient voodoo curse. Then there's the Freak Show and the Escape the Grave. So you can do all those with one ticket at this Fright Night West Virginia attraction. It's supposedly number one haunted attraction in West Virginia. It opened on September 29th 
and runs throughout the weekends of all of October through Halloween. So if you dare to be scared, check it out. We'll post it in the show notes. The The website is FrightNightsWV.com. Yes, sir. Sounds like a place I need to visit, my man. Yeah, I don't know if it compares to the Warren Haunted Barn, but maybe we can find out. Hey, we just need somebody to visit both. I think you would be a great option. <laughs> well, we want to thank Phil again for being on the show. Appreciated his time, his knowledge. Uh, what he does in the dance community and just shedding light on, on the history of the culture of dance. You know, you spoke last week, Neil, that uh, we talked about the two things that we never supposed to talk about politics and religion. But then you also talked about the third thing, sex. I think dance may be about as close as you can get forming two bodies into one. Not be as close as we're getting on Appalachian meets world. There you go. So I guess since we're at the end, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings. And singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains again